I think what the people want is probably for us to get political, right? I think that's definitely what people <laughs> tuning into a DFS show are looking for right now. Yeah. I mean, election going on. Don't know who's going to win as of right now, either Trump or Biden. It's really close. One of the closest elections, you know, since we've been of age to vote for sure. But man, Twitter, that shit was pure comedy <laughs> last night. And I just want to shout out Empire Maker. I know we talked about him in the intro a couple episodes ago, but man, this dude is on crack. Legit. 100% of the time. He, I, I'm telling you, my feed was literally just him on crack for, for eight hours straight. He was tweeting until like 5 a.m., took a two hour nap, came back <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning, just pumping out tweets. Man, what a guy, what a goat. Yeah, and tweets that are progressively more, you know, just exhaustion, <laughs> more coke fueled. Dude, dude's on another <laughs> level, and I respect it. Honestly, I do. I do respect it. Yeah, big shout out to Gambling Twitter for the entertainment. Just the live swings, you know, Trump right now tweeting like a guy who's tilting DFS. I, everything about this has been pure comedy. So shout out to Gambling Twitter for making, you know, something very serious come across as lighthearted. If you were watching you know, CNN or Fox News to get your election news instead of watching DFS slash gambling Twitter, you're doing it wrong. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 103 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to break down the entire week nine NFL main slate on DraftKings. We're going to take a look at what Vegas is telling us, talk some chalk, give our thoughts on optimal cash game lineup construction, tournament long shots, leverage, and stacks. All of that good stuff, of course, we'll close out the show with our best bets of the week. But before we get into any of that, Joey, can you tell the people how to support the podcast? You can help support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. We tweet out all links to all of our content, including videos, articles, etc. So make sure you're following us over there to keep up to date with what we're doing on a weekly basis. And then you can help support us by making sure you are subscribed to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. Uh, so make sure you are subscribed or followed, depending on the platform it helps us out a lot and then you can leave a rating as well if you're feeling generous and then make sure you are subscribed to our youtube channel we drop videos every single week my millie maker video came out yesterday ben's cash pool video will come out tomorrow as well as his cash pool article on the dfsdose.com so make sure you guys go and check those videos out um great content from us so the dfs dose on youtube one subscriber away from 100 so we're we're inching closer inching closer steadily inching closer Closer. Let's dive right into the week nine slate, starting off with our Vegas notes. This is once again an 11 game main slate with eight games early and three games in the afternoon. Expected to be a high scoring slate by Vegas standards. There are six games with totals above 50 as it currently stands. The top five implied team totals on the slate starts off with the Kansas City Chiefs 31.75. We've got Seattle at number two, 28.75. Houston at 28 and a 
half. And then Minnesota and Pittsburgh both at 28 right now. Joey, what stands out to you on this slate from a Vegas perspective? Yeah, I mean, what stands out to me is that we have a lot of high total games like you mentioned. And they these games are going to be great games for fantasy and in real life. And looking at the slate, there's about eight teams that I want to stack right now, Ben. Like yeah. at least minimum of eight teams that I want exposure to in tournaments. So I think the ownership is going to be uh, very wide across the board this week um, in tournaments. And I think that's a good thing. I completely agree with that. You know, we mentioned six out of the 11 games. So a majority of the games have totals above 50. And then you look at teams like the Steelers who are going to be popular to stack. That isn't even included in those six games. The Cardinals are going to be extremely popular. That isn't included in those six games. There are just going to be a ton of ways to go on this slate from a tournament mm-hmm. perspective, especially I think just so many different stacks that just pop off the board. But yeah, I mean, let's get right into it. In terms of ownership this week and chalk, I'm expecting Dalvin Cook to be the highest owned running back on the slate uh, as a combination of being in the nut matchup coming off of a slate breaking performance and the line is going to continue to move. Matthew Stafford, we just found out before recording, was placed on the COVID list. So he's extremely doubtful to play in this Sunday's game for the Lions. Everything about this is just setting up to be a Viking smash, and that will come on the back of Delvin Cook. Yeah, I mean, Delvin Cook is probably going to be the highest owned running back in cash games for week nine. I mean, he's 8,200, and he's everything we want in a cash game running back. He's going to he's gonna get 20 plus touches. His team has a high team total of 28, like you mentioned. They are favored. He has touchdown upside and he has reception upside. And like you mentioned, the Vikings should control this game against a Lions team that just lost Matt Stafford, Kenny Galladay, and some other guys. So Dalvin Cook is the best play on the board at running back this week. Um, he is the second most expensive running back. So you're going to have to pay for his production but I think it is worth going there in cash games. Yeah, I agree 100%. And then I think that there are three guys that'll come in right below Dalvin Cook, but still be owned enough to be considered chalky. That'll be Chase Edmonds, you know, with the full starting role with Kenyon Drake out, or at least most likely out. James Conner, who I think will gain a lot of traction as the week goes on and people look more and more into the numbers. And Josh Jacobs, I think will also be extremely highly owned. Now, tell me right now if I'm hating, because I might be. I've been known to hate, but I don't think Josh Jacobs really belongs in this tier personally. I think that Josh Jacobs is a solid play this week just due to his price tag. Like you're going to get 20 plus touches out of Jacobs at 6,300 with some receptions, you know, probably two to three. That's what he's been uh, averaging throughout the entire year so far. But in terms of cash games, he is the fifth running back that I would consider after, you know, the guys that you mentioned, James Conner, Chase Edmonds, Delvin Cook, and CMC for me is up there as well. So it's a no on Josh Jacobs and cash games for me. I'll just come out and say that. So I I think I agree with you. Yeah, he's going to be extremely popular and for good reason. I mean, 31 attempts last week, people will chase that. And I don't necessarily believe it's chasing. I think that that is how the Raiders want to operate. They want to you know, operate through Josh Jacobs and the Chargers have given up the 12th most fantasy points per game to running back this year and the sixth most fantasy points to running back over the last four weeks. Their their run defense is getting progressively worse. So there are reasons to like Josh Jacobs at 6,300 on DraftKings, but you know, you zoom out a little bit. He's a road underdog without a great team total. I think it's just out of consideration for me in cash games, although he is not Mm -hmm. the worst 
play. Let's talk about these other two guys though, Chase Edmonds and James Conner. I mean, I want to talk about James Conner because I think that he is pound for pound, dollar for dollar, my favorite running back play on the slate. He's touched the ball 18 times or more in every game over the last six weeks, every game on the season, except for week one. The Steelers are on the road, but even despite that, they have a top five implied team total on the slate. They're massive favorites, favored by two full touchdowns. Connor's top 10 in red zone attempts at the running back position. Dallas has given up the 10th most points to opposing running backs over the last four weeks. This is a smash spot on every single level, 6,900. James Conner is my favorite running back play this week. Yeah, James Conner is a great play for all of the reasons that you listed. And like I mentioned with Delvin Cook, this is a guy that's going to get 20 plus touches in a great matchup. He's not at home, but that really doesn't matter going up against Dallas. And he has reception upside of getting at least one catch in every single game and two plus catches in every game but one. So James Conner is a fantastic play. And I think you start off your cash games by playing James Conner and Delvin Cook but then the question is do you play Chase Edmonds as your RB3 and with Kenyon Drake out Chase Edmonds projects to be a really good play this week how do you feel about Chase Edmonds I know that's your son yeah I mean I love I do love Chase I've been cautious though I want to be on this train slowly as the week goes on because last time we had a situation like this it was the Alexander Madison situation and I I just hopped on it so quickly I never thought twice about it and it burned me heavy Now, I think that there are reasons when you look at Chase Edmonds to say that he is not in the same situation. For one, he's more involved in this offense than Alexander Madison is in the Vikings offense when Dalvin Cook is healthy. I think Chase Edmonds has a role on this team irregardless of Kenyon Drake's status. So that's that's a plus for Edmonds. Secondly, I was projecting in the Alexander Madison week that I thought he, you know, he's a good pass catcher, right? He can get receiving work. He has a high floor. He's game flow independent. That turned out to not be true in relation to Alexander Madison. Chase Edmonds, I think that that is you know, extremely true. He has six or more targets in three out of his last four games. He's an elite pass catching running back. He hasn't had nearly the attempts this year. So my question, I guess I'm going to toss it back to you is, do you think that there's any chance, any possibility that they use, you know, Benjamin to sort of mitigate Chase Edmonds role and keep him in the role he's in? Or is it just out of the question? Chase Edmonds has the talent and they're going to utilize him in the way that we all are expecting. Yeah, I think it's definitely the latter and comparing him to Madison a couple weeks ago, I think I'm on board with Chase Edmonds being a 100 times better play than what Madison was. Uh, what was Madison like 7k in that matchup I want to say 72 so yeah he was somewhere you know around there and DraftKings has done a good job of pricing these guys that are coming into starting roles up but at 6800 I think he takes over the Kenyan Drake role in terms of rushing attempts and keeps his role in the passing game I'm not projecting Eno Benjamin or DJ Foster or Jonathan Ward the rookie running back that they uh, signed in this draft class to factor into this matchup whatsoever so I think Chase Edmonds realistically has a good shot to hit 18 rushing attempts and then add on five to seven catches and if he hits those numbers he's going to be a total smash play at 6800 at home against Miami and in what should be a high scoring game I think Yeah, it'll be a fast-paced game, and I'm right there with you. I think Chase Edmonds is just extremely talented, too. I think that there is a non-zero chance that he never relinquishes this job back to Kenyon Drake. I think that's definitely within the realm of possibilities, and if Chase Edmonds has the role 
that we expected Kenyon Drake to have when we were drafting him as a second round pick in season long in best ball, then I mean, 6,800 is just insanely low. And uh, Edmonds is is right there for me. I think that he might be the, the running back three that I'm looking to target in those Cook, James Connor builds. We will talk about Christian McCaffrey shortly, but while we are talking about the chalk, Let's talk about the wide receiver position, and I think that the two highest owned wide receivers, at least at the high end of salary, are going to be coming from the same game. We haven't really talked about this game yet, but we will from here on out because it's going to be the most popular game of the week, I think, and it's Buffalo-Seattle, and the wide receivers are Stefan Diggs and Tyler Lockett, two guys that I'm expecting to command a ton of ownership this week. Yeah, I definitely believe that Diggs and Lockett will carry ownership. I mean, both are phenomenal plays this week and probably the best game on the board uh, for fantasy. I mean, Diggs has the ultimate nut matchup at home against the Seattle defense that we know. We talk about it every single week. They just get abused by opposing wide receivers and abused by opposing quarterbacks. So Stefan Diggs uh, figures to be one of the best plays on the board this week. And then with the Seattle wide receivers, every week, I think it's the... Seattle wide receiver that is cheaper is going to catch more ownership and that is Tyler Lockett again this week so at 6,800 Lockett should have ownership in cash games and he is a great play going up against the Bills defense that does have a red number next to it but don't be fooled they have been absolutely trash on defense and they've gotten exposed through the passing game and specifically through slot wide receivers so Tyler Lockett is a phenomenal play in week nine yeah I mean I'll just say I think that Tyler Lockett is going to eventually become the highest owned wide receiver on the slate. I have heard the word slot funnel used to describe Buffalo's defense about 30 times this week, and it's only Wednesday. So, (laughs) I mean, that that should tell you all you need to know. People are going to want to pay for Lockett, even though Metcalf had the monster game last week, out-targeted Lockett 15 to 5 in week 8. Tyler Lockett still leads the team in targets. I think that he is, you know, deservedly going to be highly owned. I do think that he is a great play. I'm not saying to fade Metcalf, though. I know that he's got a tough matchup against Trey White, but he's a grown-ass man. And I think Trey White should be just as afraid of DK Metcalf as Metcalf should be of him. (laughs) you know, to be completely honest. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, DK Metcalf, we talked about in the recap episode, he could beat any corner one-on-one. So I'm not really uh, worried about his matchup, but with the Seahawks wide receivers this season, I've, it's felt like Russell Wilson just rotates every single week who he's going to target one week. It's Metcalf the next week it's Lockett and it just goes on like that. So if we just uh, take that great process into account, it's the Tyler Lockett week. So play Tyler Lockett. Yep. The old yo-yo. I like it. Um, And and as far as Stefan Diggs goes, I mean, this is going to be a player that I want to prioritize this week. He is leading the NFL in targets at wide receiver. He's got 28 more targets than the next closest Bills wide receiver. Like you said, nut matchup at home. There's not expected to be any weather concerns in Buffalo this week. And I I do want to find a way to get up to him. He is pricey 7,400, but this sets up as a complete and utter blow up spot for Stefan Diggs. So I think those two guys at the high end are standout plays. And listen, Joey, there's a guy in the mid range and I'm, I'm going to bring this up. And this is the exact type of conversation that you and I are going to beef about for the next four days. I know you, I know how this goes. Bets are going to be made. It's, it's going to be a whole thing because I think that Deontay Johnson is a complete fish play 5k. And I think he's going to be really highly owned. And I know that's your son. So convince me right now, why should I play Deontay Johnson in cash? First of all, 
you're just a hater. You don't like Deontay Johnson. Who? You. You don't like Deontay Johnson. Just admit it on the pod. Never met the man. Admit it. He's probably a good guy. <laughs> admit it. I can't. You don't you don't like him as a man, as a wide receiver, or as a fantasy player. So that's number one. But let me just get into it. I know all the red flags that are there. I know that the Steelers are favored by almost two touchdowns or two touchdowns if it's not already there. I know that Deontay Johnson could be the new Will Fuller, okay? All valid points. I know that this game could be a blowout. But at 5K, tell me another player in this range, 5K and below, that has the upside of 15 targets in a game if he plays the full game. Please tell me one. You can't. I'm going to just stop you. You can't tell me a wide receiver that has upside of 15 targets. The opportunity is just enormous. If he's not on the injury report come Saturday, I think it's a lock and load situation. You lock Deontay Johnson into your lineups at 5K and you just sail to the money. Great matchup against Dallas. He's the wide receiver one on the Steelers when healthy. Now I know, like I said, he hasn't been healthy. He's left, what, like three, three or four games now, which is terrible probably leaves but, every game <laughs> but i'm not in the business of predicting when players are going to get injured okay i'm not in that business i'm in the business of making money oh. i'm in the business of play- <laughs> i'm in the business of giving solid picks to our listeners and if you don't play deontay johnson then i just cannot help you anymore in dfs This guy has three games with 10 plus targets and three games with three or less targets. Now, yeah, that's injury related, of course, but still that is the exact opposite of a cash play. If they have a 50-50 shot of getting three or less targets and a 50-50 shot of getting 10 targets, that's a GPP play to me. Second, I don't think that he's the wide receiver one at all. I mean, Juju leads the team in targets. Claypool leads the team in air yard share, actual yards and touchdown receptions. I mean, everything about the numbers say that Deontay Johnson is the wide receiver three because you know what, Joey, the best attribute is availability and Deontay Johnson just doesn't have it I think he is the new Will Fuller then you zoom back out and look at this from a game perspective you can expect passing production to be down with Big Ben on the road and Dallas is they're gonna get blown out now if you look at their wide receiver matchup they are top 10 at limiting wide receivers over the last four weeks not because they've suddenly gotten better but because they've been outscored like 82 to 20 over the last three games. It's because they're getting blown out. And this is going to be another spot where they get blown out. Pass attempts will be down. Pass efficiency will be down on the arm of Big Ben on the road. And I think that James Conner is where you start and end your exposure to Steelers in cash games in week nine. Last thing I'll say though is I don't think predicting injury on a year-over-year basis is the same as recognizing a player is injured right now and they're not fully healthy. Like, for example, the Steelers aren't managing Deontay Johnson like the Packers manage their star players. Devontae Adams wants to come back. They hold him back two extra weeks. Aaron Jones has been ready for like two weeks. They still might not play him, you know, on Thursday night football if Thursday night football happens because they're careful and they want to get these guys back. Deontay Johnson, Mike Tomlin's like, nah, you got, you know, a broken back. You got a messed up (laughs) ankle. Get back in the field, man. And that's why he gets injured every game. So I, I I don't know. I think that it's different than saying something like Dalvin Cook missed the first two years of his career. You know, however many games in those first two years, he's injury prone. I think that that is much different than realizing in season, this player is not fully healthy. And, you know, that raises his risk of being injured. That That's all I'll say on that. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a solid point. But then again, 
you know, he's been injured and then he came back, played a full game and had what, 13 targets. You just truly don't know how injured he is. And if I'm playing fantasy, if he gets in full practices, you know, today on Wednesday, when we're recording, you know, gets a full practice in on Thursday, gets a full practice in on Friday, I'm going to assume he's good to go. He's ready to go. Now, if he gets re-injured in the game, that's, you know, a different story. And I'll probably tilt and concede <laughs> and concede this argument to you. But until that happens, I will give Deontay Johnson one last go in my in my cash lineup. And if he busts, then I will admit that I'm wrong on the recap episode. You heard it here first. All right, look out for that recap coming on Monday. Now, sticking with wide receivers in the chalk section of the show, by my estimation, you know, at wide receiver, there's just like at least 10 guys that you can consider at 5,100 or less. Marvin Jones, Darius Slayton, aka Godius, the one and only, Jerry Judy, LaVisca Chenault, Preston Williams. Some people might play Michael Gallup, although probably not with their quarterback situation. I think some people chase Darnell Mooney. Marvin Hall, I've heard. That'll probably not happen with Stafford out. Gabriel Davis, if John Brown misses, he missed practice on Wednesday. I've heard mention of our old boy Olamide Zacchaeus with Ridley expected to miss. Maybe Christian Blake in that same offense, in that same wide receiver room. Do you think any of these guys are likely to become chalk or are there just so many potential options that ownership just gets spread out after 5k at wide receiver yeah i definitely think it's the latter um like you said there's just so many options this week and this definitely goes into the cash game construction which we will get into soon but it's all about how you build your team this week and if you're if you want to play those three expensive running backs you're going to have to find value at wide receiver so you're most likely going to be locking in i would say like two of these guys in this low range so i think come sunday the ownership will be spread out but if i had to pick one i think it would be Jerry Judy who catches ownership at 4700 on the road going up against Atlanta in a in a friendly scoring environment there so he would be the number one guy and then Gabriel Davis if John Brown misses I would expect to be chalk in a great game environment in the nut matchup at 3200 uh taking John Brown's place now I know that that could be thin but it would allow you maximum flexibility in your cash lineup if he opens up so those are the two that those are the two that I would project to be the highest owned under 5k this week yeah i'm not sure that gabe davis is like a one for one if john brown misses he's gonna absorb john brown's role but you know this is something to keep an eye on we're recording this wednesday night uh john brown has only missed wednesday practice at this point so you know that's been sort of a regular occurrence for him it's no guarantee that he misses definitely keep an eye on the news follow us on twitter we'll be you know tweeting out updates and i'll surely mention this in the cash pool article come friday at the tight end position this week i think that there are a couple guys in the mid-range that will garner ownership i'm not sure if any of them will be truly quote-unquote chalky but evan ingram stands out to me. Noah Fant is a guy that you mentioned you think will have quite a bit of ownership in Mark Andrews sub 5k I think 
for the first time all year might catch a few people's eyes despite a tough matchup. Yeah, I mean, Mark Andrews is 4,800. And, you know, when do you ever see a player of Mark Andrews caliber that cheap on DraftKings? And, you know, he's been a bust in 2020 and so has Lamar Jackson. And he's put up, what, four games with six or less points this year. Now, I know he's had some boom weeks, but I think just off name value alone, Mark Andrews will catch ownership at 4,800. And I don't know if I will go there, especially with Noah Fant, who I think this is just a pure Joey projection. I think Noah Fant will end up being the highest or the second highest owned tight end on the board this week at 4,600 in a great spot against Atlanta that we know they are one of the worst teams against opposing tight ends. And Noah Fant has a solid target floor and he has chemistry with Drew Locke. I think Noah Fant is a better play than Mark Andrews if I had to pick one. And, you know, that's crazy for me to say in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I'm not on Mark Andrews and it's early in the season, so I don't want to take victory laps. But this Mark Andrews thing is playing out exactly like I said on multiple shows in the offseason talking about best ball when. I remember specifically having this debate with Peter Overzet where he was firmly on the side of Mark Andrews and I was just insisting that Darren Waller's the guy because so much of Mark Andrews' production last year came from touchdowns and that's exactly what we're seeing right now. You know, how can you pass on a guy like Darren Waller who just soaks up targets, soaks up receptions for a guy who's completely touchdown dependent and Mark Andrews is averaging just barely over three receptions per game. I don't think he's a good cash play and then when you look at the fact that the Colts are allowing the fewest points per game to opposing tight end. Yeah, I mean, everything about Mark Andrews is a full fade for me, except, you know, maybe outside of tournaments where you can embrace a player who's touchdown dependent mm-hmm. at a good price and fade matchup, but definitely not in cash consideration for me. I would much prefer Noah Fant, like you said, and Evan Ingram is the guy for me that I'm most interested in. He's been getting more involved. I mean, I don't really know what the deal is with the Giants play calling and them trying to force rushing attempts to Evan Ingram, like seemingly every week. You know, I guess you'd have to talk to Joe Judge about that, but Evan Ingram, nine targets in week seven, two rush attempts, 10 targets last week with one rush attempt. I mean, the usage is there, the matchup is good, and the price is there at 4,300. It's just a matter of whether or not he can break free from the mediocrity and you know, frankly, just the terribleness of Daniel Jones. That That's really Evan Ingram's biggest concern. Yeah, and I think also a concern with him is he is basically playing the Jason Witten's role in Jason Garrett's offense, who is the offensive coordinator for the Giants. And he's just running a lot of low A dot routes and I know the targets look appealing, but if you get 10 targets and 9 targets and you can't get over 12 points a game, there there's something there. And I don't know if it's Evan Ingram as a player. I don't think it is. I think it's more so, like you said, Daniel Jones and the offensive environment around Evan Ingram. In a vacuum, I think I would prefer... Noah Fant for 300 more. But if I really need the 300, I think I'd feel fine with playing Evan Ingram, who I think is going to be owned. I think he will be either one or two in terms of tight end ownership with Noah Fant. So if you need the 300, I would go there, but I prefer Fant at this moment in time. I know it's still early, but the usage is good for Ingram. And if you're asking what's wrong, why can't he get, you know, over 12 points? I think it's the fact that you know, if you wanted to bet how many touchdowns the Giants were going to score on a weekly basis, you could bet the under on one and feel really good about that. (laughs) So I think that that's the big problem is he really has no touchdown upside and nobody in that entire offense has touchdown upside except for maybe 
Godius. Yeah, that's a fact. And, you know, just free all of the giant skill position players because they have talent, you know, at their skill position players with Godius, uh, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram. It's just Daniel Jones can't get him the ball. And Jason Garrett is a terrible offensive coordinator. He's a stone donkey. Mm -hmm. So free, free their skill players and, you know, next season is when shit's going to get interesting for Godius when the oh, Giants yeah. draft a quarterback with a top two pick. That's when mm. the Godius train is going to get rolling. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Evan Ingram, solid play this week. I like him a lot, but would prefer Noah Fant over Evan Ingram. Fair point. And the total is definitely better for Fant. So I, I could see that. In terms of quarterback chalk, and we can transition directly into cash game lineup construction mm-hmm. here because I think the two points are extremely correlated. At the high end of quarterback, I think a lot of people are going to look to Josh Allen, to Deshaun Watson, and to Herbert, right? I think that they're all going to have relatively comparable ownership at the high end. And then there's some viable punt plays as well. If you want to get on the Lutton bandwagon for the Jags at 4,900 in place of Minshew, I think that that is something a lot of people are going to talk themselves into. I think Tua is interesting, but he won't be popular in terms of ownership. Both of the guys who are potentially going to start for the Cowboys probably won't get played because of the tough matchup, but they're both under 5K. Drew Locke in a good matchup under 5,500. There's a lot of ways you can go. So in terms of cash game lineup construction, there's really two main builds in my opinion. And the first is going to be the build with three expensive running backs, a pair of viable wide receivers, and then really the flexibility comes in as to whether your third wide receiver is a high-end wide receiver one, say Lockett or Diggs, and you play a cheap quarterback, or you play, you know, your most expensive wide receiver is like a 6k guy or lower, and then you pay up to get to Allen, Watson, or Herbert. How do you feel about that theory? Do you think that's correct? Or is there going to be a different way? Is the three expensive running back build not going to be the go-to build this week? So for this week, there is not a lot of viable running backs that I would consider cash game running backs under like 6,300. I think Josh Jacobs is where you draw the line. Um, So I really wouldn't consider anybody under him. So I think you're kind of forced into the three expensive running back build. And you know, then it's all about how you want to prioritize your team. Do you want to try and fit a digs or lock it in to get that enormous ceiling? Or do you want to lock in, you know, a quarterback like Josh Allen? Deshaun Watson, I would consider Russell Wilson in cash games too. I know he's 500, 600 more, but Russell Wilson has been, you know, the second best fantasy quarterback to Kyler Murray this year. So I think there's an argument uh, for both, but I think right now I'm leaning towards paying up for Josh Allen over playing an unknown like Jake Lutton, where you realistically don't know his floor. So I don't think you can play him in cash games, but you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fault anybody for paying down at quarterback at a position where we know the range of outcomes are, are very narrow. And, you know, all it takes is Lutton to throw three touchdowns and 200 yards and he's smashing at 4,900 in a great matchup at home. So who knows? Yeah, I, I'm really, really torn on this, to be honest with you. I don't have a strong lean yet because typically I'm not the guy who plays these dusty quarterbacks. I remember last year, a very similar scenario where you were on, you know, Kyle Allen and dirt cheap and I was paying up to Lamar Jackson because you know I just I view that floor ceiling combination to be very valuable at quarterback and I don't want to punt on these guys but this is a really solid spot for Mr. Lutton I mean now I don't know too much about this guy I know that his athleticism is questionable 
but he has an 85th percentile throw velocity. And there were quotes today that they're going to push the ball downfield more than they were with Minshew because of his arm strength. Now, you know, I don't know. I mean, that could just be a recipe for a three pick game where the Jaguars get completely blown out. So to play him is to definitely embrace a lower floor. I think, you know, the decision will come down to how confident are we in the three wide receivers that we play if we're not paying up to Lockett or Diggs, you know, or Keenan Allen even in that 7K range. So as the week develops and the value wide receivers come into play more clearly, I think I'll have a more, you know, precise lean on that. In terms of the high price guys, you can't go wrong with either of Wilson or Allen. That's going to be a high paced, high scoring game. Both of them are top four fantasy quarterbacks right now going head to head in a highly likely shootout. So I think that both of those guys are great plays. Josh Allen for what, 500, 600 less, I think is slightly better for cash games in a point per dollar sense. So I, I, I'm big on Allen, but you know, Justin Herbert to me is set up to completely smash. The Raiders defense is bottom three in sack rate and QB hit rate. They get no pressure whatsoever. The Chargers just got back right tackle Ryan Balaga last week and Herbert is quietly averaging the fifth most fantasy points per game of any QB in the league right now. Fourth, if you take Dak Prescott off the list. I mean, he's putting it up even in the box score. His lowest score since taking over as starter on DraftKings is 19.7 points. And he's gone over 26 in more than half the games he's playing. We've even seen a 40-point ceiling out of this guy in his, you know, six starts or whatever it is. So I think that Justin Herbert at 6,800 going against the Raiders at home is just a complete smash play. And and I really want to get some exposure to him this week, potentially even in cash. Yeah, I, I think Justin Herbert is a great play as well for all the reasons that you mentioned. Now, I don't know if I'm going to play him over Josh Allen in cash just because I think there is more shootout potential yeah. uh, with the Buffalo and Seattle game rather than the Chargers in Las Vegas. Vegas game, but still, he's still a great play this week at 6,800. Like you said, he's averaging the fifth most fantasy points for quarterbacks, 27 DraftKings points per game, which is phenomenal. But I think it's Josh Allen or Russell Wilson for me in cash, depending on how much salary I have. Yeah, that's where I think I'm going for quarterbacks uh, this week. All right. So it's time. You know, we talked about it in chalk. We think that Cook, Edmonds, and Connor are all going to be extremely highly owned with Josh Jacobs in that mix as well. But there is a fifth running back that I think is going to come in with less ownership, but is equally as interesting this week. The highest priced running back on the slate at 8500 the great Christian McCaffrey returning to action full practice on Wednesday has not yet been activated from IR as we record on Wednesday night, but I'm expecting that even potentially by the time people are listening to this on Thursday morning, McCaffrey will be activated. And I mean, all signs are pointing to him being good to go in this matchup against the Chiefs. How do you feel about Christian McCaffrey in his first game back? Man, I mean, it's been, what, seven weeks since CMC uh, has played. His coaches say that he looks sharp, he looks good, he's practicing in full, and I think he's fully healthy and ready to go. And at 8,500, it is really hard not to play him. I mean, I played him the first two weeks of the year when he was 10K. And this is a player that we know is going to sit at 10K when he's healthy. He is the best fantasy player in the NFL, gets used like an absolute workhorse running back. Now that may come down with Mike Davis and how Mike Davis has performed, but I would still expect McCaffrey to be used heavily in the passing game. I would still expect him to see 18 to 22 rushing attempts which is still elite usage for him 
And man, at 8,500 in a great game environment against the Chiefs, a high scoring game, man, it is so hard to not plug him in at 8,500. I mean, you're just getting a discount. That's what it comes down to. He's a 10K player and you're getting him at 8,500. Yeah. I might, I might play him. I might play him in cash. I will say that. I mean, I'll say that I don't think that it's wrong. I don't know if I'll play him in cash because I think that it's hard to play both him and Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook's spot is a little bit better and that Connor and Edmonds are such good plays that you don't necessarily have to go there. But I do want to be very clear in saying that I don't think he's a bad cash play. I'm not worried about him coming off of injury. They wouldn't play him if he wasn't ready. We saw it last week. There was speculation he would come back in that Thursday night game against the Falcons. They held him back and I think that if they are going to activate him in this spot it's because he is fully good to go we talked about this on the recap episode last week about dalvin cook and you know why was dalvin cook's ownership suppressed why was he 10 percent owned in the nut matchup last week well it's because people are scared to play these guys coming off of injury we are not now you add that together with the fact that christian mccaffrey is fantasy football's number one asset he's coming off of a 15 percent price drop like you said 10k in both games week one and week two now he's 8500 And, you know, the question is, do you think that he's going to be producing 15% less fantasy points than he would, you know, if he were quote unquote fully healthy? And I think the answer is no. You mentioned Mike Davis. I think if McCaffrey came back after Mike Davis's first three weeks when he was averaging 25 fantasy points per game, then yeah, maybe Mike Davis would handle 30% of the work or 25%, whatever it is. Mike Davis has completely fallen off a cliff, went from averaging 25 fantasy points per game in his first three starts in place of McCaffrey to averaging under 10 fantasy points per game over the last three games. And I think that they need to get Christian McCaffrey involved. I think they know that. And I'm expecting him to handle at least 80% plus snaps in his first game back he's a monster play to me it's like for me how can you say those statistics and not play him especially if we project for him to get 80 plus percent of the snaps and then if you take a look at the DraftKings blurb under him apparently Matt Rule has hinted at McCaffrey recapturing his workhorse role that he had in week one and week two, which would absolutely just dispel Mike Davis even coming into the game. So if McCaffrey gets 90% of the snaps, 90% of the touches and work in the receiving game, and he obviously has massive touchdown upside, I don't know how you can fade him, honestly. And maybe people aren't going to be on it this week. Maybe we're the only two ones that are on it for cash. Maybe we're complete donkeys, but I think he is at the least the second best play on the board for me. He is my number two behind Delvin Cook this week. I'll be honest with you. I completely agree with that. Actually, well, you know, I'd put him third because I love James Conner so much, but that's strictly points per dollar. If we're talking raw points, I think McCaffrey would be second, if not first, to be completely honest with you. It's just a matter of line, uh, like roster construction, right? It's a matter of, you know, Edmonds and Conner both being sub 7K and then what you can fit by playing only one of the two guys above 8K. So that's the real only reason, like I didn't play Christian McCaffrey in the first two weeks because he was 10K, despite being such a great play, you just couldn't fit it. I think it might be similar this week, but I do think he's a good cash play. He will be in my cash pool. And if he somehow comes in at low ownership, if we are on an island with this take, then then God, I mean, fire off in every GPP line. I'll lock him in 100%. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you don't got to tell me twice about playing Christian McCaffrey. Like I said, I played him those two weeks when he was 10K just due to his massive floor slash ceiling combo. So, man, you don't got to tell me to play Christian McCaffrey. All right, good CMC talk. And you basically said that you're not considering anybody sub Josh Jacobs in cash games. No love for Antonio Gibson, huh? No love for Antonio Gibson. He's just in a timeshare with those other running backs in Washington. So I really wouldn't consider him. And the Giants have low-key a good run defense. So I don't think he's in play, but let me amend that. There is one player that I would consider if I do need to save the salary. David Montgomery at 5,700. Now I know there's questions about his talent, his athleticism, yada, yada, yada. As a floor play, you're most likely going to get 10 plus points out of David Montgomery. And then you kind of just hope that he can reach a ceiling. But ever since Cohen went down, he's been an absolute workhorse running back. I mean, if you just look at his game log, he has games with seven catches, four catches, five catches, 15 attempts, 19, 14 attempts, 21 attempts against the Saints. So you're getting an elite usage back at a very cheap price and a great matchup but they are on the road and I believe that they are underdogs. So there are some concerns with David Montgomery, but he is the only running back that I would consider below the top four or five guys for me in cash games. All right. I mean, I'll give a little bit of love to Antonio Gibson. He's a home favorite going against the Giants. Yeah, their run defense is better than I think it's perceived, but I'm not too worried about it. You know, this is a team that is very unlikely to ever be ahead in any game, even against a team like Washington. You know, Washington's coming out of a bye. Maybe they commit to the rookie back at this point, unlike what the Colts did for Jonathan Taylor, like we all thought. And Gibson's usage has been solid. Yeah, he is in a timeshare, but if you look at his last four games, five targets in three three out of the four in the one game where he didn't get five targets, he had 20 rushing attempts and 128 yards, you know, with a touchdown. So I think Antonio Gibson is pretty good at 5,800. He's at, he's at a good price point for me. I just don't necessarily see myself paying the opportunity cost to be off of the elite plays that we've been talking up to this Uh point to go down to him. I think that that's more concerning than the play himself. Same thing with David Montgomery and David Johnson as well, who, you know, I'm not really considering whatsoever, but I've heard talk some people, some touts out there think David Johnson is like going to be chalk this week. And if that's true, I mean, God, sale to the money. Yeah, I mean, I guess David Johnson isn't a bad play if you if you look at what he's done this year. I mean, he gets usage uh, in the ground game. He gets usage in the passing game. He just has no upside. But I will say as a floor play, obviously, you kind of want to prioritize floor in cash, but you also want to mix in, you know, some guys with high ceilings as well, in my opinion. And, you know, you're just not going to get a ceiling game out of him, but you'll probably get a 10 to 14 point game out of David Johnson. He's only scored under 10 points one time this year, and that was against Baltimore, one of the toughest matchups on the board. So yeah, I mean, he he played the same matchup in week five at home. Now they're on the road in that game. He had 19 touches, put up 12.3 points. I would expect something similar here. I hope that people go there in cash so I can smash all of them. Um, So wide receiver, you know, I guess we've already talked about this quite a bit, but, you know, are you feeling like at this point in the week, you're going to prioritize trying to get one of Diggs, Lockett, and or Keenan into your lineup, or are you going to be sort of comfortable punting off with all three of your wide receiver spots? Because I think no matter what minimum, 
you're playing two value wide receivers in cash this week in almost every good build that you're going to come up with. Yeah, definitely at least two minimum. And I think how it's looking for me right now, I know it's early, it's Wednesday, but I think I would be fine playing three cheap wide receivers if it allows me to get maximum uh, opportunity out of my three running backs and then playing a, you know, a good quarterback in a high scoring matchup. So I think that's how I'm leaning right now. Uh, We'll see if that changes throughout the week. It usually does for me. And we talked about it. Lockett, Diggs are are great plays and are going to be high owned. Just don't know if I will be able to get there this week due to uh, salary limitations. That is a fair point. I mean, I am currently leaning sort of the opposite. I want to find a way to get Steph Diggs into my lineup, but you know, a lot of the time I'm willing to come down at wide receiver. So I may be in a completely different mindset two days from now. I would recommend that everybody check out the cash pool article. I will go very deep in depth at how I'm feeling about this on Friday and update that throughout the weekend as well, leading up to Sunday lock. Uh, at tight end, we kind of already covered it. You know, I'm feeling Evan Ingram. You're feeling Noah Fant. Is there anybody else though? I mean, anybody that you want to pay up for maybe and you know, an even better punt option to save salary, maybe to find a way to get a receiver and a quarterback in there. If there's anybody at the dirt cheap end of the price spectrum, what are you thinking of tight end for cash? Yeah, I mean, we know tight end, you know, there's not a lot of good options on any given week. So we're always going to be looking to pay down. I'm never going to pay up to a tight end. Kind of considered it last week, got off that immediately. And I think the cheapest you go is the opposite Broncos tight end. If you really need the salary, I think you can play Albert O at 2800 who has seen solid targets now i know he only had one target against the chargers but that was an end zone target uh scored that touchdown had a solid game and at 2800 i think there is enough potential on the broncos side of the ball for albert o to have you know a solid game at 2800 like if he scores you eight points you're you're fine with that this week so I think he's the lowest you go. Nobody else I would really consider at the low range. If, if you want to pay in the middle, I think Noah Fant, Evan Ingram are the two best plays on the board by far. But yeah, that that's probably how I'm leaning this week. I'm personally not going to play Albert O with Noah Fant back. And I think Irv Smith for 100 more is quite a bit better, to be honest with you. I mean, Irv Smith's snap percentage has been growing. He's played 79% of snaps in each of the last two games. He's got a couple five target games, a four target game. I think he's pretty reliable and he's being you know integrated more into the Vikings offense. My concern with him is that the Vikings barely passed the ball in this game. But, you know, with if you're paying down at tight end, I don't really care too much. It's more of a thing where I'm like willing to embrace the floor to jam in better plays at the other positions. So I think Irv Smith is a guy that I would consider at 2,900, only 400 above the men if I am not able to get up to the Evan Ingram Noah fans here. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. All right, let's move on to the tournament strategy segment of the podcast, a segment where you have been killing it for the majority of the year. <laughs> except uh, for last week. <laughs> except for last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we ain't got to talk about that. Except for last week. But yeah, um, why don't you kick us off here, take it in any direction you want, leverage, stacks, long shot, whatever you're feeling. Yeah, so... Like we mentioned earlier in the podcast that we're going to be on a lot of these stacks and tournaments. I would advise if you're playing tournaments to play multiple different lineups across your contest to get maximum exposure. That's what I will be doing this week. And my favorite low-owned stack this week, my son, Tua. 
Yes. Tua, Miami stack. You can stack them for relatively cheap. Tua is 5,500. If I was an absolute savage, I would consider Tua in cash. I think this matchup going up against the Cardinals is a great one for Tua. It's a good spot to unleash him. You can pair him with Devontae Parker at 5,200, which is cheap. You can pair him with Preston Williams, who is 4,100. You can pair him with Mike Gesicki if you want at tight end, who has a lot of upside, in my opinion, only at 4,400 and is going to go overlooked. So the Dolphin stack is my favorite stack for tournaments this week in large field tournaments, I should say. And then there's plenty of bring back options. Like we don't really have to talk about it. Yeah, a lot of bring back options. And that game stack is one of my favorites. And it's not going to be owned. Yeah, people are down on Tua after, you know, quote unquote disappointing. But that was I think largely game script based with the Dolphins D scoring two touchdowns last week. And, you know, I can't even lie. Like that was what I had to for my favorite long shot stack because I'm all aboard it. You know, I think it's going to be a fast paced game. I love the bring backs in Chase Edmonds and DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, the long shot, it kind of goes hand in hand. One of my long shots here in this stack is Mike Gesicki. The Dolphins traded away Isaiah Ford to your Patriots. So you can rest easy knowing the Patriots wide receiver problem is solved. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that the departure of Ford really benefits Mike Gesicki, who already even before they traded away their primary slot receiver, was leading the NFL in percentage of slot snaps for all tight ends across the league, playing a whopping 74% of his snaps in the slot. So Mike Kosicki, truthfully, is more of a wide receiver than a tight end at this point in the way he's utilized in the Dolphins' offense. I think that that just grows as Isaiah Ford's departure is integrated into this offense. Kosicki, 4,400, has a lot of upside. We talked about it last week that him and Tua had been building chemistry. It didn't really play out, but that's because, like I said, game script. So I like Gasicki quite a bit as a long shot, and I'm right there with Joey in terms of stacking the Dolphins and bringing it back with a couple of Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, what could go wrong with the Dolphins stack, you know? just <laughs> Absolutely the, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think that that stack is going to win somebody a bunch of money. That, mm-hmm. that I have a gut feeling about it. Hopefully it's me, but... I have a feeling that stack is going to be low owned and is going to pop off, but I do have a long shot player that I have to give out to the people. I know people look forward to it every single week. And that long shot player, just a player that we know has an enormous ceiling, and that is Justin Jefferson at 6,100. Um, I don't think he's going to be owned this week. Could be wrong, but I think his ownership will settle around 5%, and you're getting a player who has an enormous ceiling in a very good matchup at home against the Lions. Should go like I said, relatively unowned. He is my favorite tournament long shot play. I like correlating him with Delvin Cook in tournament lineups. And yeah, just had to had to give that out. 6,100, Justin Jefferson, book it. So I don't hate the Justin Jefferson play, and he's also good leverage off of Delvin Cook, right? Who's going to be one of the highest owned plays mm-hmm. on the slate, if not the... But the thing with Justin Jefferson is, look, there's a clear pattern. He only pops off for tournament winning weeks once every three weeks. And you're only, you know, this will only be the second week. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. My bad. It'll be week three, you know, week six. He had 30 plus in both. But there was a bye week. Bye week. Bye week. Week seven was their bye. Week eight, five points. Week nine, three weeks. Holy shit. It's Justin Jefferson. You heard it here first. Justin Jefferson. Oh my God. I have you to play him. I might play him in cash. 
<laughs> you just blew my mind with that. I didn't even I didn't even account for the buy. Oh man, damn! What a play! What a play, Joey! I think that you're going to be you know sailing to the money this week with you know some two stacks and nice Justin Jefferson one off. That sounds like a million dollars. I'm not even. That, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then I will close it off here with a leverage play. You know, I've lost hope on this player at certain points in the season, but I just want to be right about this. I want to, and I think eventually I will be Juju Smith-Schuster. 22 targets over the last two weeks, hasn't scored a touchdown since week three, but is leading the Steelers in targets. He's awkwardly priced this week at 6,200, so he's not expensive, but he's not cheap. A lot of people are going to go to Deontay Johnson, who I already talked about, I think is a fish play. I think Juju's phenomenal leverage off of Deontay day off of James Conner. And, you know, I made brief mention of the Dallas stats, seventh most points per game to wide receiver this season, but have quote unquote tightened up, giving the 10th fewest points to wide receiver over the last four weeks. Point differential comes in. They've been, you know, outscored 86 to 22 over the past three weeks. I think that there is a shot that a lot of low A dot targets go Juju's way. I think he could rack up 10 receptions in this spot and, you know, maybe scores a touchdown, maybe scores two and smashes this week. So give me some Juju Smith-Schuster and then, you know, I'll be sailing to the money. He'll be TikToking about it after the game and everybody will be happy. <laughs> yeah, I like Juju a lot this week. I also like Claypool. I was going to shout out Claypool. Yeah. If it wasn't for Justin Jefferson, I think Claypool is a great tournament play as well. And I think you'll be able to get these Steelers pass catchers minus Deontay Johnson at lower ownership. I, now, I don't think they'll be one percenters, two percenters because they are in a great matchup. It is a primetime game, 425, probably the game of the week even though the Cowboys are absolute trash. Yeah, I like Juju a lot. I like Chase Claypool a lot. And we're definitely sailing to the money this week, 100%. No doubt in my mind. Yeah, this is going to be a good week. I can feel that too. Let's close it off. And we need to give the people some winners. Best bets. What do you got for the people, Joey? Last week, you know, you took a different approach. You threw three bets out there after, you know, traditionally giving one in I think just about every other episode this season. So you lost one, you won one, and you pushed one. What do you got for the people this week? Yeah, so I mean, we won the underdog bet, the underdog money line bet. So that's plus money. So I mean, if you bet $100 on each of those bets, you profited. So I'll take that as a W. But for this week, I am going to give out one bet, go back to the old tradition. And that bet is the over in the Seahawks-Bills game. Um, The over is currently at 55, according to ESPN. Probably is different at you know, whatever sports book you use, but I would say 55 is a good line and this game should totally smash this over. So give me the over in that game. And that is my favorite bet this week. And you know, good weather, good weather in Buffalo. We live in upstate New York. It's projected to be 71 degrees in November. Can't beat it. You you literally just can't beat global warming. Mm. It's that simple. Big weather guy. (laughs) That was last week, Joey. We don't care anymore about weather. (laughs) <laughs> no, um, I mean, I'm just going to literally like fire off a whole clip right now because I got three bet or shit, four bets that I'm interested in. Four. Although two of them are extremely correlated and probably not even available by the time this comes out. But, you know, if by some stretch they are, I want to bet the Vikings minus four. I'm sorry, but if Matthew Stafford is likely to not be in this game, they're going to blow the Lions out of the water. I mean, I think that that line was pretty soft, even, you know, with Stafford in. No Kenny Galladay greatly affects that offense. I think the Vikings roll in this spot. So I want Vikings minus four, and I want the under of 52. This line has only dropped one point since open. I think you could see this thing be under 50 
a couple of days from now, especially if Stafford's gone. I mean, hell, it could be like 48, 47, right? So give me mm-hmm. Vikings minus four and under 52 in the same game. And then the other two I want is uh, Los Angeles Chargers over 52. I think that that game has some sneaky shootout potential. I already talked a ton about why I like Herbert and the Chargers offense this week. And I think that the Raiders are a team that kind of play to their opponent's level. You've seen them have really strong offensive performances, and then you see them play the Browns in you know a dicey game environment, and they play down to their opponent. So I think that if the Chargers are in this spot scoring points, I think the Raiders are going to be scoring points on the other side of the ball. So give me Chargers game over 52. And then finally, Washington football team minus two and a half against the Giants. I think that they can win that game by more than three coming off a bye. Giants on a short week. Danny Dimes is quite possibly the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, holding my son Godius down. The only path to the Washington football team losing this game is if Godius balls out for 200 yards, which definitely in the range of possibilities, but not likely. So give me Washington minus two and a half. I think they smashed the Giants. Yeah, but I will note that Daniel Jones only wins in his career have came against Washington or Tampa Bay. So Mm. some concern there, but you know, I, I like those bets and I think that we're going to sweep this week. It's going to be a good week. I'm feeling great about this week, but that's going to be it for episode 103 of the DFS Dose podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you who are listening out there. Like Joey said at the top of the show, you can subscribe to the podcast on any podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there one subscriber away from 100 on YouTube. How we might even be there by the time you hear this. Help us get there if we're not already. And you can always follow the DFS Dose at the DFS Dose on Twitter, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carey and DFS. All right, guys, sail to the money with us. We're all going to be sailing. Let's go together, make some strong plays, and we will talk to you with the recap episode on Monday.